What is up, guys? It is the Blue Bloods here with a week five instant reaction episode, man. And it was a crazy week of college football. I mean, three top 12 matchups, two top 10 matchups, statements were made, college football playoff resume solidified. And on top of that, nine top 25 teams suffered a loss in week five. We had crazy action all across the country. And we have so much to talk about on this episode. So make sure to smash that subscribe button. Make sure to hit the like button on this video, man. Appreciate y'all for supporting and tuning in on this Sunday afternoon. But let's get right into it as the number seven Cincinnati Bearcats made a statement in South Bend with a 24 to 13 win over the number nine Fighting Irish. And for the first time ever, we have a group of five team in October putting together a real I guess, resume to get into the college football playoff. They got a top 10 win. They get a power five road win over Indiana. And now if they can just get through their conference schedule, dominate along the way, get an AAC championship, you have an argument to say Cincinnati belongs in that playoff conversation and probably belongs in the playoffs, especially when you look at all the chaos we've had at the top. The ACC is virtually eliminated after Clemson fell apart. The Pac-12, their best shot, suffered an in-conference loss on the road yesterday in Oregon. Cincinnati's sitting at number five. Number one and two eventually have to play each other in the SEC championship that they went out. And three and four play next Saturday. So Cincinnati's sitting there. All these teams have to play each other. Oklahoma's already behind them. They have a clear path to a playoff bid. They have a 39% chance, I believe, to the FPI for ESPN. This is legit. Luke Fickle understands it. Desmond Ritter understands it. And they're out here making a name for Cincinnati this year. And I have I've not been more impressed with the team in the country than what the Bearcats have done. And they leaned on their defense this weekend, defensive execution, defensive playmaking, set their offense up time and time again with short fields, with opportunistic drives. And right on cue, Desmond Ritter made the play to win the game with his late touchdown. Now, he had a solid performance outside of one fumble, which came on a blindside hit. The offense had no turnovers other than that, stuck to the game plan. He had almost 300 yards passing, two passing touchdowns and a rushing touchdown. And now, I don't know how people know this, Ritter is the winningest QB in F in, in the FBS right now with a, for a quarterback with more than 10 starts. 34-5 and five and has a chance to do something special if the Bearcats can win out this year. Desmond Ritter is a winner. He showed that he's a legit quarterback, and that's what's really separated them from previous group of five teams making a run. Desmond Ritter's legit. He's still in that Heisman race because that Heisman race is wide open. We'll talk about that later. And since the Cincinnati Bearcats are legit, and the defense doesn't get enough credit. I've been saying for two years on this show that that secondary and that defense is elite. They have some special talent all across that defense. Ahmad Gardner, again, I said on the preview, he's the best corner in college football, in my opinion. And for me, he's still playing lights out. Got a huge interception in the red zone, shutting down sides of the field for the Bearcats. And the secondary overall, nine pass breakups, two interceptions. They have power five speed, power five size. And they've shown it for multiple years in a row. And this is time to give them their respect. 
the defensive line, 14 pressures, five QB hits, two sacks, and they bothered the three Notre Dame quarterbacks who took snaps all game long. And on top of that, the front seven stepped up, holding to Notre Dame to 84 rushing yards and only three yards to carry and did not allow an explosive running play all game against two great running backs in Kyron Williams and Chris Tyree. Overall for me, the Bearcats showed they just they had just as much talent as the rest of the Power Five, and now they've shown that that move to the Big 12 in a few years is completely justified. This team's legit. This team's going to be a factor moving forward, and as long as they can get through that AAC schedule unscathed, we're going to have to have an interesting conversation come December. Now, Notre Dame, it, the only thing misses their offense. Their defense played well enough to win this game at times. The QB issues are there. The running game's inconsistent, and the O-line has not lived up to the potential. The QB battle's the number one thing, though, for Brian Kelly to figure out. And also, Tommy Reese, the offensive coordinator, has to decide who gives this team the best chance to win. Jack Cohen's a little banged up. Tyler Buckner did not play very well. And Drew Pine has some potential, but he's still young and inexperienced. That, and on top of that, it doesn't help you have that problem, along with Kyron Williams not really clicking like he did last year. He has to find a way to channel that 2020 version of himself. And 45 yards is not going to cut it if you want to beat the number seven team in the country. The offensive line, though, is probably the number one thing I've noticed about Notre Dame that isn't there. They have four, they had four new starters to start the season, but they have to gel, man. You're getting into week six now. The time is now to go out and perform like I know, like I know a Notre Dame O-line can. No offensive lineman this weekend, guys, had above a 58. Uh, a 58 run blocking grade, which is a major problem moving forward. They are going to have to run the ball, especially with the uncertainty at quarterback. But overall, Cincinnati made a huge statement. It was a great game on NBC. Shout out to the Cincinnati fans for, you know, taking over that stadium. They didn't do it just as well as Georgia, but there was a lot of red in that stadium. They're supporting the Bearcats. And now we have a very, very interesting storyline to watch in the group of five as Cincinnati goes moving forward. It starts on ESPN on Friday night as they take on Temple, while Notre Dame next week has no time to rest and lick its wounds. A huge road test in Blacksburg against Virginia Tech comes next week. That is going to put all these flaws that we talked about from Notre Dame on to the test. That defense is legit. But that offense is going to have to score next Saturday night if they want to bounce back from a tough loss to Cincinnati. Now we're getting into another top 10 matchup here. And, you know, this one wasn't even close. Georgia, number two in the country, beats Arkansas 37 to nothing, dominates, shuts out. I mean, you want to talk about a statement, pure domination, an absolute blowout. The Georgia Bulldogs put on one hell of a performance. And for me, it might have been one of the most impressive performances of the season. And for me, I thought that they had I, – I really think that they made an argument for being the best team in the country this weekend. They dominated the number eight team in the country from kickoff until that clock, clock hit zero. And the Razorbacks had zero answers for the Bulldogs on either side of the ball. And it was clear by the first quarter who the better team was. That front seven, man. Fast, physical, dominant. That's, that's the only word you need. And this defense, for me, is by far the best unit in the country. And they proved it again yesterday. Another shutout game. They're allowing less than five points per game this year. And that's with two top ten matchups on their resume. They allowed only nine first downs, 162 total yards, less than two and a half yards per carry, and less than five and a half yards per pass, and held the Razorbacks to 3-12 on third down. On top of that, 
four sacks. They spent all day in the Razorbacks' backfield. And, man, I want to give a shout-out to those defensive linemen. They could not be blocked, and I don't think there are any other lines that I had an answer, but they lived in the backfield of the Razorbacks. They had zero shot of of, of getting – Arkansas had zero chance of winning that game because of how dominant that Georgia defensive line was. And on the other side, it, they had a backup quarterback in Stetson Bennett only through 13 passes, really wasn't a factor. But the O-line absolutely ate up Arkansas's front seven. The running back room, four different running backs had 10, 10 or more carries, and they all performed outstanding. It, I think Kirby Smart put on a depth clinic and showed how well he was really recruiting up there in Athens. You look at James Cook, 12 for 87, averaging over seven yards per carry. Zamir White, 16 for 68, two rushing touchdowns. Kenny McIntosh, 57 yards, 5.7 yards per carry. Milton, 12 for 48 and a rushing touchdown. A ridiculous 273 yards and three touchdowns on the ground while absolutely dominating the Razorbacks at the line of scrimmage. They had zero defensive answer for that run game. What Georgia did is said, okay, y'all think y'all are coming in here and y'all can run the ball. We're going to completely shut you down, and we're going to run it straight down your throat all game long. That's exactly what they did. I mean, it was never even close for between the Razorbacks and the Bulldogs. And when this Bulldogs team can get healthy, this team could be extremely scary. I mean, Karis Jackson, George Pickens, JT Daniels, Tyke Smith, Darnell Washington. I mean, you have so many people out for this Georgia team, and they're still doing this. It just shows how great this Georgia team really is. And for me, I, right now, I think you have a very, very solid argument if you're living in Athens right now about this Bulldogs team being the number one team in the country. Now, the Razorbacks, listen, you should not sell your stock on the Razorbacks if you're if you're if you're an Arkansas fan. Being on Georgia's level, especially in Athens, is no reason to overlook what Sam Pittman has done with this team in such a short period. This is not going to be a doom and gloom show for Arkansas. This team plays with the toughness that there's a lot of teams in the country that wish they could replicate. They had a number 25 recruiting class last season, which was their highest in some time. They have a long way to go to compete with the Georgias of the world. They didn't back down all, all game. They stuck to their game plan. All it was is Georgia was just more talented, and that's not a surprise at this point in where these programs are. This was supposed to be another rebuilding year for Arkansas, and they found themselves in the top 10 for the first time since 2012 in a New Year Six Bowl still in reach, and it starts this weekend. <clears throat> for me, Arkansas should not hang their head. I don't think – and I don't want to hear this thing, and Georgia fans will agree with me here. I don't think this team was overrated. I just think the gap between Georgia and Bama with the rest of the country is that much. I mean, I want you guys to tell me. Which team other than Bama in the top 10 was going to beat Georgia and Athens yesterday? I would say none. I mean, Georgia's that good, and I don't think Arkansas should hang their head at all. They are not overrated. Jefferson was a little banged up. That run game just couldn't get it going. And the outside of Burks, the wide receiver, they don't have those – they had the wide receivers to go get separation. They were just over overmatched at every position, and they did what they could. But let's not sell stock on Arkansas. Based on their resume and the way they've been winning this year, they were not overrated. It was just Georgia's that good. Now, I will stand by that against anybody. But the Razorbacks get a chance to bounce back next weekend 
in a huge ranked matchup against Ole Miss. The Bulldogs have a road test against number 18 Auburn and Jordan Hare. We'll definitely will be covering both of these games on our channel this week for the preview, probably dropping Tuesday or Wednesday. But those are, those are going to be huge SEC games to look forward to. But another SEC game. Number 12 Ole Miss traveling to Tuscaloosa to take on number one Alabama. Alabama dominates again, 42-21, Crimson Tide. And if you thought Nick Saban was going to let Lane Kiffin embarrass his defense two years in a row, you were sadly mistaken. The Crimson Tide made easy work of the Rebels, a, a commanding lead for the SEC West now. And this looks like a race to Atlanta between Alabama and Georgia. They dominated both sides of the ball. Bryce Young had a solid performance in the running game. The thing that's really been missing for this Crimson Tide team absolutely showed up and showed why this Bama team is an absolute problem for most teams in the country. And the biggest thing I've noticed, especially this weekend, the domination of the line of scrimmages for the Crimson Tide. The O-line pushed around the the, the Rebels' D-line all day long, and the defensive defensive line in front seven for the Crimson Tide absolutely ate against this Rebels' offensive line. And Saban has a real national title contender again. They put up 450 yards of total offense, held the Rebels under 300, and over and like oh, almost half of those came in the second half and in junk time after the Crimson Tide was already up 42 to 7. Bryce Young only has six as six incompletions, 240 and two touchdowns. And Brian Robinson, star of the show, 171 and four touchdowns. He finally showed why he was tapped as the top replacement for Najee Harris after he headed to um, the NFL. Now, the defense was really the, the MVPs of the get of, of the day. Completely shut down the rushing attack, 78 yards, 2.3 yards per carry, and they made Matt Corral completely uncomfortable at times. Seven hurries, two sacks. The secondary played well, no turnovers, but only allowed one real explosive play all game. And it showed why they are they 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 really don't have a true weakness on this Alabama team. And the strategy for me was so interesting for Saban. All he said was we don't believe your offensive line can block our front four or even our front three. So we're going to drop seven to eight in coverage, and you're going to have to beat us. And the offensive line could not hold the three- or four-man rush, and the wide receivers failed to create separation for most of the day. That's exactly what happened. They had zero answer for that Alabama uh, defense. And Nick Saban said, you're not just going to sit back there and throw it on us. We have better players than our front seven, and our secondary players can lock up your wide receivers. And they did that. <clears throat> Sorry, man. I feel like allergies today. But the Rebels had no answer until this game was out of reach, guys. Listen, I, and if you're a Rebels fan, let's just say your team should still be fine throughout SEC play. If you find yourself at 10-2, and 9-3, and three, that's a great year for year two uh, for Lane Kiffin and Oxford. Penalties were a problem, especially penalties at the wrong time. They, they had seven for 55 yards, but they came at the most inopportune times and really put them behind the sticks. And then on top of that, they could not convert on third down. And execution on third down was atrocious. And which put Bama into great field position. And when you're trying to beat the number one team in the country on the road, you cannot give them the ball at the 50-yard line. That is that is a recipe for absolute disaster if you give Alabama the ball in, in that good of field position. Two for five on fourth down, five for 14 on third downs, and it was a problem all game long. It's clear that the rushing attack has to improve for this offense to flow. Corral is great, but he cannot carry a, his he cannot carry this entire offense in a game like this on his own. 
213 the touchdown respectable but they needed more to knock off Alabama and Tuscaloosa as most predicted now the Rebels look to rebound against Arkansas, like I said, after covering the Arkansas game. But the Crimson Tide head to Kyle Field to face the Texas A&M Aggies, who really have struggled since their starting quarterback went down. Injuries have killed them, and they've just had a tough time uh, trying to rebound from that. But let's get into some final thoughts and things here. First, <clears throat> nine top 25 teams lose in Week 5. I'm gonna go through them here. I won't break down every game in detail. And I don't want to keep y'all. Don't want to you know keep y'all Sunday to like a two-hour show. But number three, Oregon loses to Stanford 31-24 in overtime, and it was a game of what if for the Oregon Ducks. Kayvon Thibodeau gets ejected for targeting on the on the drive Stanford used to tie the game. They have a questionable pass interference call, which would have ended the game. This was a game of what ifs. Mario Cristobal's team absolutely looked like they just overlooked Stanford early. They really bounced back and played very well in the second half. I think that pass interference call late was not a great call, and Oregon probably should have won this game, but that's a bunch of what-ifs, and you know you, you can't do that on, in college football. But Oregon does not execute, gets a huge loss to an in-division rival, and Stanford 31-24, they're going to have to bounce back. I mean, Oregon, for them to have a chance, they're going to have to run the table and look impressive doing it. They only fell to number eight today, but they have to they have to be better and they have to keep hoping Ohio State looks very good because that win could propel them back in the conversation, depending on what happens. Then, you know, we got number eight, Arkansas losing to Georgia, number nine, Notre Dame losing to Cincinnati. We've covered those. Another big one. Florida, number 10, loses to Kentucky 20-13 to in Lexington. One of the first wins in a very long time for Kentucky over Florida in Lexington. And it all was, it, it was just, I don't even, I can't even explain it, but Florida absolutely had chances to win this game. It was just a lack of execution in key moments. They drove the ball up and down the field. They had like over 100 more yards than Kentucky. But what happened was they could not execute in the red zone. They could stop the run game down the stretch for Kentucky. I mean, Rodriguez and that offensive line for Kentucky absolutely dominated the Gators front seven. That game-winning drive, I mean, they ran it straight down the Gators' throat all the way down the field. Will Levis did not have his best game, but, man, they just – Mark Stoops said, listen, I believe my front five can beat your front four or three, and he just ran it right down their throats. It was an outstanding win for Kentucky. They jump into the top 20 now in this new AP poll. I picked Kentucky to finish second in the East this year, and a lot of Florida fans got on to me. It's looking real nice right now. I want to see more from Levis moving forward, but right now that run game and that defense have been playing lights out for Kentucky, so you have to give them the props. Ole Miss loses to Alabama, of course, at number 12. Number 15, Texas A&M loses to Mississippi State. Guys, Will Rogers deserves his credit. Over 400 yards passing against a, a secondary who, going into the Arkansas game, was only by like 70 yards a game through the air. That secondary has a lot of talent. Mike Leach's air raid always has games here or there where they just shock teams with how well they throw the ball. They did it against NC State two weeks ago in which they they absolutely threw it all around the yard. 24-10 win for them there. They get a 26-22 win over A&M based on just throwing the ball all over the yard. A&M has an identity problem with Calzada quarterback. When Haynes King, if he can come back, this team could be different. But right now, they are one two one dimensional with just Spiller running the ball. 
they have talent, but they can't establish drives, and that defense just wears down over time, and I think it caught up with them this week. But the Bulldogs and Mississippi State get a huge upset over Texas A&M. And, you know, my guy Brandon, who, you know, he's been away for a little bit, always says you cannot never count out Hawaii in those late-night games, especially, you know, with all with just the vibes of the island and everything. And Hawaii pulls off a huge upset over Fresno State, who was number 18, 27-24. Jake, uh, Jake Hayner was in the Heisman talk through four interceptions, man. It was just, you can't turn the ball over six total times against anyone expect to win. Hawaii pulls off the huge upset in Fresno State after all that amazing work they've done, drops this game and drops out of the top 25. And that's probably a wrap on that storybook season for them. Then UCLA, number 20 in the country, loses to Arizona State, 42-23. And this is the Arizona State I thought we were going to see, man. Herm Edwards has to get this team more consistent. They go out and look like they did against BYU, and they come out and finally look like the team that everyone thought they were going to be against UCLA. And this is just another story of Chip Kelly being inconsistent. He's got to put it together. He's had such a better year than he has his his first few years over at UCLA, but he's got to put together a full season of football. And for me, UCLA is just too inconsistent. And this shows, listen, I hate this narrative, and I was talking to some people about it the other day. When Florida loses to Kentucky, it means that the SEC is deep. But when UCLA loses this game or Stanford beats Oregon, it's the Pac-12 is overrated, Oregon's overrated. I just think the Pac-12 is more competitive than most other conferences. I mean, these teams are very equally matched. In any given weekend, you could go out and get a win against a, against someone who no one thought you could beat. Arizona State's a legit team. It started out a little bit slow. BYU is just very good. BYU is number 10 in the country right now. Arizona State gets a big win in L.A., Chip Kelly's got to figure something out. Dorian Thompson Robinson has to be a bit more consistent, and that defense finally came to haunt them in a big way. But then the other one, Baylor loses to Oklahoma State. It was 24-10 and 24-14 in Stillwater. It was just a story of Baylor's offense not being able to move the ball for most of the game. And Spencer Sanders had an outstanding game. Oklahoma State's run game was on point. And even though the second half they were a little slow. When they needed the drive to put the game away, they got it with Spencer Sanders. So shout out to Mike Gundy and those guys. They're putting together wins. Oklahoma State sitting at five and zero right now, right in the thick thing. Um, for for that Big Twelve championship. Now, <clears throat> final takeaways before I wrap this up, man. One huge upset to Will and have defined college football this year. And I really think people aren't talking about it enough, but the COVID year has completely shifted the balance of power in college football. More of these group of five teams and lower power five teams and FCS teams have got a lot of transfers due to the one free transfer rule. A lot of these lower teams didn't have as many draft eligible guys as these top teams. So I think they got to keep, they got to keep a lot of uh, good players who probably wouldn't have been there, you know, for super seniors and juniors who probably could have taken their talents elsewhere. The top teams experience a lot more turnover. You're seeing that because outside of Bama and Georgia, a lot of these top teams, I mean, when you look at the number three through like 12, the the balance, the, the, I guess the obvious uh, discrepancies aren't there, man. The, those three through 12 teams all could beat each other any given week. And so I think huge upsets are still going to be a common theme, and I wouldn't expect any in, anything different in week six. And I think it just offers even more evidence for an expanded playoff, which I'm very glad that's coming down the pipeline. Two, 
hot seats are real hot all around college football. I mean, you can you can start it in LSU, man. Um, Coach O is on the hottest seat of all time. Auburn uh, storms back. Bo Nix looks like Johnny Manziel 2.0 as Auburn gets a 24-19 win over LSU after being down 13-0. He is on arguably one of the hottest seats out there. Right now, Florida State, they get their first win, but Mike Norvell is not off the hot seat in the slightest. I mean, you look at Washington. I mean, Jimmy Lake has not performed this year. They lose to an FCS team, and now they get upset by Oregon State. I mean, listen, hot seats are going to come, and I mentioned this um, in the preseason with recruiting schedules being pushed further and further up. These teams are going to want to make moves and fire the coaches earlier. You look at USC, I'm expecting some college football head coaching moves to be coming very, very soon, so pay attention to that. Uh, third, Hodgman race still wide open. A true favorite has not established themselves. Matt Corral's looked uh, good at times. Bryce Young's looked good in times. Desmond Ritter, Jake Hayner. I mean, there are so many people who have an argument here or there, but no one has just pulled away from the pack. So this Hosman race is going to be very interesting getting into week six, seven, and eight. So pay attention to that. And then finally, week six is going to be huge. We have another giant group of matchups that can shake up the college football playoff race. Number four, Penn State traveling to number three, Iowa. Arkansas, number 13, traveling to 17, Ole Miss. Georgia, number two in the country, traveling to face number 18, Auburn and Jordan Hare. Number six, Oklahoma. Number 21, Texas in the Red River Shootout. Number 14, Notre Dame going to Blacksburg to face Virginia Tech. Number one, Alabama going to Kyle Field. Stanford going to number 22, Arizona State. Number nine, Michigan going to Nebraska. We have so many great matchups. Make sure to hit that subscribe button. We're going to be previewing most of these. And also, we got the most and best college football content on YouTube right now. So, man, I appreciate y'all tuning in. Hope y'all are having a great Sunday. Make sure to tune in tomorrow for my top 10, my SWAC recap. Tuesdays, we start previews. Got any breaking news if that may happen? And also, man, just appreciate y'all for supporting, and I can't wait to get back with y'all this week. Also, Tuesday, live, 6 p.m. Central Time, we have our mailbag. Make sure to go to our community page, submit your questions, and or comment your questions right here on this video. And also, comment your takeaways from all the Week 5 action right now on this video like it subscribe man appreciate y'all so much but y'all have a great sunday and i'll see y'all tomorrow but right now the blue bloods are out.